Good morning, everybody. We're delighted to see all of you here today. I'll draw your attention to the friendship pads in the in the pews. Please, please sign them so we'll know you're here. Uh, if you would like to see a, a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister today is Barb Smith, and she'll be in the Norfolk after the service. Uh, I think there is uh, there is an announcement for one great hour of sharing. Randy Reinhardt. Good morning. Jamie and I are up here to talk about one great hour of sharing and specifically the self-development of people. And I'm going to read this because I couldn't possibly remember all this. The self-development of people is a ministry that affirms God's concern for humankind. We are Presbyterian and ecumenical partners dissatisfied with poverty and oppression, united in faith and action through sharing, confronting, and enabling by participating in the empowerment of poor, oppressed, and disadvantaged people seeking to change the structures that perpetuate poverty, oppression, and injustice. And their core strategies are promoting justice, building solidarity, advancing human dignity, and advocating for economic equity. And the reason that Jeanette roped us into this is because in 2008, I was the chairperson of the Family Advocates for Heritage Christian Services, and we actually applied for a Self-Development of People grant, and we got it. And that grant enabled a group of advocates of family members who have children with developmental disabilities to take two lobbying trips, one to Albany and one to Washington, D.C., to talk to our legislators and government agencies about the need for residential development. At the time, there were 12,000 people on the New York State waiting list, waiting for housing. That list, unfortunately, is still pretty high, but as most of you know, this little woman is in her own home now, right? Do you like your new house? Yes. It's pretty cool, right? Yes. Yeah? And do you have roommates? How many roommates? Who do you have? Who are your roommates? What are their names? Do you know your name? Yes, what are their names? Allison. Allison. Who else? Jenny. Yep. And Diana. Diana. So four women live in a house with 24-7 care, and some of your money towards One Great Hour of Sharing helped to have a bit of an impact on that. So we thank you very much, right? Can you say thank you? Thank you. I had not planned on making an announcement, but then I read what was printed in the bulletin, and there is a misprint. So I'd like to call your attention to, we have a children's musical every other year at the end of the Logos program. Uh, We are having a short informational meeting this Wednesday after Logos ends at 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary, and it'll only take 10, 15 minutes tops. But if you can't come, it says to reach me at the wrong email. So where it says DMB, please change that to DMH. It's my initials, Diane Miller Holmes, okay? So someone just hit the wrong key. But 
It will not reach me if you're interested, if you use this email printed here. So thank you so much, and we'd like to start the service with our junior Kirk ringers, and we're going to ring a beautiful prelude for you called Steal Away. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. Let us worship God.
Please join me in prayer. Holy and redeeming God, as Moses lifted high the serpent in the wilderness, so Jesus was also lifted up for the salvation of the world. We thank you for this season of Lent, during which we remember anew your loving and redeeming acts toward us. We thank you for your ongoing creative energy in the world, for bestowing upon us gifts through which we may participate in your life and work, for enabling us through the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on the message and ministry of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that in these moments of worship, you will speak to us and impart again the word which we most need to hear so that we may respond to you with love and faithfulness. Amen. Come closer to God. Sense anew the wonders of God's creation and the marvels of human life. Have we not taken it all for granted? Have we not misused the gifts of God? Have we not worshipped other gods? Confession and forgiveness retune us to the grace of God. So we can pray together. Healing God, we are sick through our sinful ways. We are impatient, complaining, and troubled. We love the night because it hides the evil we have done and the doubt that shows on our faces. By our self-indulgent habits, we are destroying ourselves and depriving others. As a church, we seem content to be dead in our sins, for we are afraid to embrace the changes that come with the new life you offer. We cry out to you in our trouble. Please save us from our distress. Amen. their sinful ways and became of their, because of their iniquities endured affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Let them thank the Lord for God's steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. For just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, God has lifted up our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might be healed. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, friends. You'll notice in our bulletin that we have preparation for God's historic word that we can share. God's people were impatient and spoke against the Lord. 
This wilderness is dried out and we detest the food. We can't find any water and so we ask you why. Oh God, if you still love us, you've brought us here to die. As sinning leads to judgment, the people soon knew fear. For snakes were in the desert and danger lingered near. So Moses made a bronze snake and placed it on a pole. Whoever looked upon it was once again made whole. And all these references about serpents and snakes, they'll become clear as you hear from Numbers, this story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. I invite you to hear God's word to you. From Mount Hor, the Israelites set out by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. And the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze, put it on a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look on that serpent of bronze and live. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Well, that's wonderful. I invite other children that are there in the congregation to join the choir up here. I've got, uh, I've got sheep. This is just some of uh, Mrs. Boke's sheep, actually. She's got a lot of them. She left about 20 of them at home, but I brought them all this one. If you're very careful, you can hear this one. Ready? Sounds like a sheep, doesn't he? Yeah. There are a couple here. I actually got another tub. I kind of like this guy. He kind of flops all over. Yeah. This is a little bigger one. This one with the with the tie on, that's EF Mutton. Yeah. So we decorate the house with a lot of sheep as we get close to um, Easter. Yeah, so if you come to our house, there'll be a lot of sheep. Actually, you know, there's going to be a story we're going to read during worship today, and it's going to be about three things that are lost. One is probably going to be a lost what? Sheep, right. And then there'll be a story about a lost coin. And then the last one is a lost son, lost person. I kind of like the story of the lost sheep. When that happens, it says that there was a shepherd and he had a hundred sheep and he lost one. So that meant if he lost one, how many more did he still have? Ninety-nine. See, you know your math. And so he had 99, and what did he do with the 99? He left them there. Yeah, he left them in the wilderness and went looking for the one that was lost. That always seems strange to me. I would just always get concerned about the 99 that were left. But then Jesus is trying to teach that God loves the sheep so much that even if one was lost, God would go looking for that sheep. That's why I think it's a wonderful story about things that get lost. And sometimes you might think that you're insignificant. If you ever got lost, would your family go looking for you? I think they would. They'd look very, very hard and far. They would want to make sure that you're not too lost. And God feels that way too. Let's pray about it. Lord God, we thank you for this day to worship. We thank you for the opportunity and the ability to make music and to praise you. And we thank you that when even we feel lost, you want to find us and bring us home, even to your fellowship and family. So be with us and help us to remain forever in your fold. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a great time in Sunday school today. Trying to make that one, make the lamb sound. There it is. I think that's the, I think that's the only one that does it, Rachel. I, I, I think this one doesn't. A little bit, but yeah. So Paul writes to us from the, his letter to the Ephesians. And I invite you to hear God's grace to you. 
You were dead through trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the fashions of our flesh, following desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show his immeasurable riches in his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Carrie, you don't know it, but you just read one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And it really um, surprised me one summer when I was in high school and I was at the New Wilmington Missionary Conference and the verse that year came from Ephesians, by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's really a wonderful verse. I want to alert you before we uh, read the collect together and then I read this longer scripture passage that when that scripture passage ends, we're going to be singing about Luke chapter 15. And I want you to be aware, I know this is a very difficult piece of music to sing. It'll be a very challenging hymn and will involve some counting. But I put it there because it kind of tells the story of Luke 15. Our collect we can share together. God keeps waiting, searching, yearning. See a father's heartfelt joy. Thankful for his son's returning, he runs out to greet his boy. To the angry older brother, hear the father's patient call. So God says to love each other, for in Christ God loves us all. Luke 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling, saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. You can only imagine what that means. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out, to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, 
How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? And here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. And he replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. And the son became angry. Refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command, and yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost, and he's been found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
I warned you, the counting as well as the notes, right? Father Murphy was a wonderful Irish priest, but as he aged, he developed a loss of hearing, and members of his parish had become sympathetic to the situation, and they would write out their sins on a piece of paper before going to confession. One day, parishioner Sean O'Reilly slipped a piece of paper to Father Murphy, which read, Two loaves of bread, a gallon of milk, a box of detergent, and a pound of bananas. Well, Father Murphy looked a little puzzled. He scanned the note, and then he passed it back to Sean. And Sean looked at the note and then exclaimed with some horror, Oh, no, I have left my sins back at the grocery store. (laughs) Well, where did you leave your sins? Where should we leave them? How can we be rid of them? Well, the answer, of course, is repentance, which means, in essence, to turn around and go home. Repentance is what the prodigal son did. He turned around and went back home. That is the best way to get rid of your sin. George Buttrick, one of the greatest preachers America has ever produced, said that Jesus' parable of the prodigal son captures the essence of the Christian faith. It is a story of repentance and forgiveness and grace. It is also, however, a story of self-righteousness and resentment and anger. It has a very familiar beginning. There was a man who had two sons. So right from the beginning, we are introduced to its three characters. The first, of course, is the younger son. He's the prodigal. He is adventurous, rebellious, determined to learn life's lesson by making his own mistakes. Some of us can identify with him. We've been there. In Jesus' story, the younger son says to his dad, Father, give me now my share of the estate. Dr. Kenneth Bailey, who taught for years at the New East School of Theology in Beirut, writes of knowing of only one case in modern village life where this kind of request was made in that part of the world. An older son asked his father, to divide the family inheritance. And the father, in great anger, took a stick and drove his son from the house, never to permit him to return again. And all of the neighbors in the village applauded. Why? asked Dr. Bailey. Because Palestinian peasants told him that in that culture, a son would just never, ever ask for the inheritance early because it was to say to the father, I wish you were dead. So this father divided his property. 
between the two sons. And the younger one set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. That's the phrase just for our entertainment value. We can imagine if they, Hollywood were to make a movie about this parable, we would spend about half the film on wild living. When all of his wealth was gone, there was a severe famine in the country, and this man descended into trouble. He was hungry. So he hired himself to a local farmer who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. Now, this phrase, he hired himself to a local farmer. You will, some of you have had this experience. Of somebody hires themselves to you. It's not what you expect. You ever drive in a major city in this country, and you stop at a traffic light, and three or four folks come out to wash your windshield and they throw some water on it in a squeegee, and then they hold out their hand hoping that you'll pay them. That's what this young man was doing. But he's feeding the pigs, which is about the most disgusting job in the world for a good Jewish boy. He was so hungry, Luke tells us, that he would gladly have eaten the pods the pigs were eating. Finally, He came to himself. He headed back home, his tail between his legs. He was hungry and hurting, and home started to look pretty good. However, was he truly penitent, or was he simply posing and play-acting so he could worm his way back into his father's good graces? We don't know. This is a parable. This is not a real-life incident. There was no follow-up done by the evening news. We can only imagine that he was headed home for good. Or maybe not. Some of you may have encountered a person who early on became involved with substances and addictions that seemed to have taken control of their behavior and their decisions. Truthfulness is one of the early qualities to fade. Many parents today know what it is to have a child return home after a period of searching and testing. They are apologetic. They vow to do better, not leave again. But then they steal something on their way back out the door. And agonizing parents ask, How many times am I supposed to forgive this? How many times do I let him come back home? Some prodigals repent many times, but never really come home. It's like one of Garrison Keillor's stories from Lutheran pastor Inquist, who has a perspective in Lake Wobegon. Pastor Inquist said, Larry Sorensen was back at the Lutheran Church. All-time record for Larry, who has been saved 12 times in the church. Between 1953 and 1961, he threw himself weeping and contrite on God's throne of grace on 12 separate occasions. And this is a Lutheran church that wasn't evangelical, had no altar calls, no organist playing, just as I am without one plea while the choir hummed. Larry Sorensen came forward weeping buckets, 
crumpled up at the communion rail to the amazement of this pastor who had just delivered a very dry sermon on stewardship and who now had to put his arm around this limp, saggy individual and pray with him and, and then see if he needed a ride home. Twelve times. We're born in original sin and are worthless and vile, but twelve can... Versions is just too many. There comes a point where you should dry your tears and join the building committee and start grappling with the problems of the church furnace and the church roof and make church coffee and be of use, but Larry kept on repenting and repenting and repenting. Now let's assume the young man in Jesus' parable is truly penitent. He's ready to join the uh, building committee and start grappling with the problems of the church furnace and the church roof and make church coffee and be of some use. We can sympathize with him. He's learned some hard lessons, but at least he's back home. Most of all, he's learned how lonesome it can be when you turn your back on those who love you. He's headed home. He's done wrong. He has repented. Now he's headed toward the safety of his father's house. And there's that second character in the story, the dad. This young man had rehearsed what he was going to say. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he went back. I've kind of wondered what the father did. Every night, before he went to bed, maybe he went over to the window, He looked out, saw movement in the distance, and wondered, is that my boy? He waited for him. And the son came with his rehearsed speech, saying he was no longer worthy to be called the son. And the father says, quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger. The best robe, the the best coat. What coat would that be? The letter jacket from high school? Grandfather's military uniform? A tux for the prom? was the best coat. Let's have a feast. For the son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and found. And so they began to celebrate. Now the father, of course, represents God. God in all of God's grace and love. Helmut Tielicke says this parable ought to be called the parable of the waiting father rather than the parable of the prodigal son. Everything seems to depend on God's grace here. Now, in the magnificent hermitage, 
the palace of Catherine the Great in St. Petersburg, Russia, there is a fascinating painting by the Dutch artist Rembrandt. The painting is called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Some have called this work the greatest picture ever painted. In Rembrandt's painting, based on Jesus' parable, the son has returned. He's come home after wasting his inheritance, falling into poverty and despair. He kneels before his father in repentance, wishing for forgiveness and a renewed place in the family. And standing at his right is his older brother who crosses his hands in judgment. The most fascinating aspect of the painting is the portrayal of the father's hands as he bends over to embrace his penitent son. It is said that the hands of the father were one of the last things that Rembrandt ever painted before he died. So you can go Google the painting and you'll see. The father's left hand is not surprising. It is strong, a masculine hand, the kind of hand you would expect from this farmer father to have. But the right hand is very different. It is smaller. It is soft. It looks feminine. It is the hand of a woman. Just think of the significance of that one figure, but with noticeably different hands, one masculine, the other feminine. Henry Nouwen noticed the difference between the two hands. He wrote a book entitled Return of the Prodigal Son in which he comments on Rembrandt's painting. He writes, as soon as I recognized the difference between the two hands of the father, a new world of meaning opened for me. The father is not simply a great patriarch. He is a mother as well as a father. He touches the son with a masculine hand and with a feminine hand. He holds and she caresses. He confirms and she consoles. He is indeed God in both whom womanhood and manhood and fatherhood and motherhood are fully present. That gentle, caressing right hand Echoes for me the words of the prophet Isaiah. Can a woman forget her baby at the breast? Feel no pity for a child, a child she's born. I thought, I thought about Father Nowen's analysis of this great painting when I read part of another book by evangelist Franklin Graham. It's his story about his own return home after living somewhat as a prodigal. The title of the book is Rebel with a Cause. Franklin Graham is, of course, the son of the world's most famous evangelist, Billy Graham. And by his own admission, Franklin was a rebel. In fact, 
He openly opposed every value and every virtue his parents stood for, including their Christian faith. He smoked, he drank, he cursed, he caroused, he did it all. But no scene in his book is more poignant than the day that Franklin Graham was kicked out of a conservative college in Texas for taking a co-ed off campus for the weekend and piloting a rented plane to Florida. And he writes, The drive home from Texas was very dreary. Maybe by driving slowly I was prolonging the inevitable. I had to face my parents. And I knew they were going to be disappointed in me because I was disappointed in me. They had invested a lot of money in my education and now I just really messed up. I drove through the gate. I started toward the road to our home. And I had just imagined the lecture my parents were going to give me. So many other times when I'd come home, I could hardly wait to say hello. No joy this time. I felt so bad when I finally reached the house. And I saw Mama standing on the front porch and I wanted to run and hide in the nearest hole. It was one of the few times I can remember not wanting ever to to look her in the eye. And I walked up to her and my body felt limp And I did not have the nerve to lift my head. My arms stayed down. And then Mama wrapped her arms around me and said, Welcome home, Franklin. Rembrandt knew that a gracious God could be betrayed as a loving mom or a loving dad. There's a third character in this story. It's the elder brother, right? His story is so different from his sibling. The elder brother didn't go into the far country. He didn't lose his inheritance. He didn't live among the pigs. He stayed at home. He did what was expected. He was obedient to a fault. But you heard what he said when his brother returned. The text told us, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What is going on? Your brother has come home. And your father's killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And this older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he said to his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him, 
Did you notice it, the passage? All these years, I've been slaving for you. Not all these years I've been working for you or serving you or I've been here faithfully with you or helping the family on the farm. Oh, I'm enslaving for you. Pastor Tim Keller calls this duty without beauty. And then look at how he refers to his brother. Doesn't refer to him as a brother. He says, but when this son of yours comes home, can't even refer to his brother. A long time ago when you were very young, like me maybe, you would sing Sunday school songs like um, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, or Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. We sang songs like that almost every Sunday, and then when Sunday school drew to a close, we would sing this song. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We, we, we would sing that multiple times and we marched off to church from Sunday school. Frankly, church could be a long, dull, uncomfortable, boring time when you're in second grade. And truthfully, lots of students were not glad to sing, let us be glad and go into the house of the Lord. They were sad. They would have been honest if they had sung Let us be sad and go into the house of the Lord. And then when they became teenagers, they would have been honest if they sang it just a little. Let us be mad when we go into the house of the Lord. I mean, it's true that some children find not just worship, but any gathering of adults to be tedious and lifeless and dull. They probably did not invent this. They probably picked it up from adults around them who felt the same way, but had learned politely not to show it. I want to overstate the case here. Anthems can soar, hymns can touch, scripture and message can help us think, I was glad I was here today in the house of the Lord, but joy can be very elusive for some of us, and we can be bothered when others have it and we don't. The father sought to set his older son on firmer, more joyous footing. My son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this brother was lost but found. The elder son peers with critical eyes and a cold, unforgiving heart at both his brother who has broken all the rules and his father so eager to welcome this wayward son back home. The elder brother is spiteful, angry, resentful. Some of us understand this. We wonder why God would bend over backwards to welcome someone back who has become so wayward in their life and ignore those of us who have always played by the rules. It's hard for us to accept that Jesus sees more hope in the much-deserved humility of the prodigal who was lost than the self-righteous indignation of his brother. We read this parable and we consign the elder brother to the supporting cast, a minor character in this narrative. But the truth is 
Jesus may have intended for him to be the central character in the story. Now remember to whom Jesus is telling this parable. It is to the religious leaders of the day. The first two verses of the chapter tell us that. We read, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were muttering. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. The story of the prodigal is intended to give hope to the tax collectors and the sinners, but it is a devastating judgment on the attitudes and actions of the scribes and the Pharisees. For you see, they are the elder brother in Jesus' parable, keeping the law, but looking with disdain upon those who are not as righteous as they. Joseph Stoll, president of Moody Bible Institute, began a message on the parable of the prodigal son recently with these words, I have never known a time when Christians have been more mad about more things than we are now. We're angry about values, politics, television, media, education, the violation of the unborn, condoms, and criminals. We're shouting more. We're shooting doctors at abortion clinics. Publicly, we are perceived to be long on madness and short on mercy. We become grumbling warriors instead of committed seekers. All we need now is for CNN to carry a story about some pastor in Atlanta asking his congregation to find $65 million for the purchase of a Gulfstream G650 to jet around the world with the gospel. You know what he's talking about, don't you? Years ago, I read an essay in which a woman was reminiscing about her father. She said that when she was young, she was very close to her dad. And the time she experienced this closeness most was when they would have a big family gathering. And the whole family, aunts and uncles and cousins, everybody would gather. At some point, someone would pull out an old record player and put on some polka records, and the family would dance. Eventually, someone would put on the beer barrel polka, and when the music of the beer barrel polka played, her father would come over and tap her on the shoulder and say, I believe this is our dance, and together they they would just dance. One time, when she was a teenager, in one of those teenaged moods, her father tapped her on the shoulder and said, I believe this is our dance. And she snapped at him. Don't touch me. Leave me alone. And her father gently turned and never asked her to dance again. Our relationship was difficult in our teen years. I'd come home late for a date. My father would be sitting there in his chair half asleep wearing an old bathrobe, and I would snarl at him, and I'd say, what do you think you're doing? And he would look at me with sad eyes and say, I'm just trying to stay up, waiting for you, make sure you got home safe. When I went away to college, I wrote 
I was so glad to get out of that house and away from him and the family for years. I never communicated with him. And then I turned 40. And I decided to go to the next family gathering. And when I was there, somebody put on the beer barrel polka. And I drew a deep breath. And I walked over to my dad. And I tapped him on the shoulder. And I said, I believe this is our dance. And he turned to me and said, I've been waiting for you. Three characters. The penitent lost prodigal. His loving, gracious parent representing God. And the smug, self-righteous brother also lost, really. If you are the prodigal, come home. It's never too late. If you are the elder brother, come home. I know it is harder for you to see your sin than it is for your weaker brother or your sister, but your sin of self-righteousness might be the most deadly of all. Come home to the waiting arms of the Father. A prayer is printed for us. For life-sustaining gifts that we so often take for granted, for shelter, food, and meaningful tasks to do, for your steadfast love that awakens us and raises us from our sinful ways, for your word that guides and heals us, we give you thanks, gracious God. As we invest a part of all you entrust to us to further your ministry through the church, May we show to others the immeasurable riches of your grace in Jesus Christ. Make this church a beacon of hope for the world. Amen.
seated, friends. So if you've looked around the sanctuary and you've said, oh, there are new faces here, I want to issue an invitation to those of you who are joining as new members to stay in the sanctuary after worship. We'll have an opportunity to introduce you to some other folks and and officers in the church. We're also delighted to see in the sanctuary up on the chancel the beautiful flowers that Bud and Joan Miller give in honor and memory and loving grace for their parents. And we have some birthdays that we're celebrating. Beverly Henning in the 830 service this morning wanted us to join with her in celebrating her dad's 93rd. And as we think about individuals in their 90s setting good inspiration for all of us, Jean Francis will turn 95 on Friday. And for those of you who know and love her and would like to send her a card, go ahead, here's, get your pencil, get your pencil, 256 Thurston Road, Rochester, 14619. Jean Francis will be 95 on Friday. We also give thanks and praise for healing. The Rivers are back. Dick and Norma are back. They had been visiting their grandkids, and unfortunately, little Tulula was in and out of the hospital, but is out of the hospital, and they give thanks and praise that they're home. Now we're praying for Dick, who's got bronchitis. <laughs> Poor guy. We had a, a wonderful birth on the 12th. No, this was not a pie baby for your engineer son, my dear, but Dan and Jeanette Henderson Harrison welcome a new grandson. Camden was born. Camden? Yes, Camden William Harrison. Um, seven pounds, seven ounces, 20 and some inches. Congratulations. We also are in prayer for those who are continuing to heal after losing a loved one. Nick Polizzi, it's delightful to see you in the sanctuary, and we extend with you our prayers as you continue to heal over the loss of your mom. And Gus Sarniocchi, What a joy to see you amongst us. We too miss Mildred. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thanks, Carrie. Please join me in prayer. God of eternity and God of endless wisdom and everlasting life, we've gathered to praise your name and to read again from your word, and we're grateful for the opportunity to be here on this Sunday. We pray that we might stay open to the unexplained and mysteries that we encounter, that you will continue to call us home and receive us when we repent, to love us and make us new, help us to be more loving toward others. We pray for an awakening of wondering in those whose curiosity has been shut off or out. We pray for those who teach that they share the knowledge and encourage exploration We pray for those who grieve, those who need healing, and those who just need more hope. Help us all to overcome fear when we live on a growing edge of things, and help us to have a sense of your security in a resurrected Christ who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
If you are among the lost, welcome home. And if you are among those who feel welcome here at home, please go find the lost and welcome them. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us today in the life everlasting. Amen.